on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Blind by Corrosion of Conformity. Midwestern pronunciation, you mean the correct pronunciation? Yeah, the, the very, <laughs> the blandest, most generic pronunciation, which is the Midwestern pronunciation. I, I bet he gets paid by the pinched harmonic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi. And my co-host, sighing in the background, is Jason Ziak. Jay, why are you sighing? Me Sasquatch. You sad? No, me Sasquatch. Sad Sasquatch. Sad Sasquatch. Okay. Jay, you are the star of this evening because you brought tonight's album. I did? Yeah, you I'm did. Al- I'm always surprised. Some of these I'm... You told me. You gave me this suggestion like three weeks ago. I know. I don't remember, though. I always just think that what I know, you know. Mm. It's hard no. for me to imagine that there's music that I'm aware of that you're not. You you introduced me to such bands as the Backyard Babies and King Adora. So, obviously, <laughs> I I trust your musical, musical tastes. Uh, Is that a 90s band? No. King Adora? Yeah. No. No. Okay. Their, both their albums are 2000s. Well, I think we've, both, we've established that our sense of time is uh, pretty screwed up, so it's a valid yeah. question. The time-space continuum is warped in our brains. Yeah, we're, we're really struggling with this this idea that we're getting old and the music that we think <laughs> just came out like two years ago actually came out uh, 14 years ago. So the album we're reviewing tonight came out only a few years ago. It's 1991's Blind by Corrosion of Conformity. Wait a minute. 91. That's 20 years ago. Damn. There are people in college that were born when this album came out. So this is our first legitimate metal band, I, I would say. Would you Would you not say? Or would you say? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this is our first legitimate metal band. And I think the heaviest album we've done. I was trying to recall quickly, but... I don't think there's anything we you didn't. Have you didn't think this. the wanted eyes were heavier than this? No. No. Okay. Uh, Sidewinders. <laughs> they were more boring. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Zing. So corrosion of conformity. Why did you pick this band? Just out of curiosity. Other than it came out in the nineties, and you would hurt. <laughs> uh, I think what they're doing is. I'm more familiar with the album Deliverance, which when you get to the history, we'll, we'll learn where, when that came out. Mm-hmm. I think what they were doing on that album and then this album, which I actually just discovered recently, is pretty relevant to what is going on in metal now. The themes that they're playing with, the influences that they're combining. I think a lot of bands, uh, a lot of metal heavy bands right now are doing the same thing, so thought it was worth taking a listen to for that reason good good points let's get into the history of corrosion of conformity history of the coc as i like to call them and other people do formed in raleigh north carolina in 1992 by guitarist woody weatherman bassist mike dean drummer reed mullen and vocalist Benji Shelton. Now, I'm going to 
list off the vocalists that have been in this band without ascribing them an album. Shelton was replaced by Eric Ike, who was replaced by Simon Bob Sinister, who was replaced by Carl Agle, who was replaced by Pepper Keenan, who I referred to repeatedly in my notes as Pepper Johnson, because <laughs> I couldn't get over the fact there were two guys named Pepper. <laughs> Pepper Johnson, who formerly played for the New York Giants. Right, Cleveland right, Rams. right. Was the, uh, did you call the drummer Carl Banks? <laughs> That's a good point. I should have. There. Discography goes all the way back to 1983. The first album, Eye for an Eye, came out on Caroline. 1985, Animosity on Combat Records. 1987, Techno Technocracy came out on Sony. 91 is Blind. That's the album we're reviewing. It is the, if you go to allmusic.com, it is the pick of all their albums. It has four and a half out of five, excuse me, stars. And that came out also on Combat Records. Uh, 1994, the album you spoke of, Jay, Deliverance on Sony Music. 96, Wise Blood on Sony. 2000, America's Volume Dealer on Sanctuary. 2001, a live album on Mayan Records. And 2005, In the Arms of God on Sanctuary. And in 2010... The very best of Corrosion of Conformity came out on Columbia. And I believe there are rumors of a new album possibly next year. That is the history of Corrosion of Conformity. Uh, they have gone through a lot of different singers, Jay. On this particular album, who's the singer? Do you know? It's always been confusing to me. Uh, they, I, I think they've always had more than one, no? It doesn't... Peppers yeah, from what I understand, the songs and then the the there's some back and forth. Yeah, yeah, but uh, as far as the other guy, is it um, Carl Agnell? Is that who's on this record? I have no idea. I'm horrible okay. with names. And I just listen to the music. You tell me about the history. Well, I found this can be to be con- confusing as well. <laughs> I know that uh, Pepper Keenan sings on. Um, the single for this album, which was Vote With a Bullet, uh, which I believe got some MTV Headbangers Ball play back in the day. I'm surprised it I was didn't this... see it because that's when I was watching MTV or Headbangers Ball like it was my job. Well, I'm trusting the internet, which is, you know, usually gets us in trouble, but I was reading some, you know, some histories and some people talking about how much they loved Corrosion of Conformity. And uh, it was mentioned that they they spelled it empty TV was playing, but with a bullet. So the album, Blind. Jay, you brought this, so I'm going to give you my impressions. Please do. Um, well, let me ask you, is this a new, not a new, but is this sort of a crossover between hardcore and metal? Yeah, so I think you, you could either say a crossover to hardcore hardcore and metal or I mean in some ways that defines thrash but I think yes. there you could also say you know this is a crossover from thrash to almost more like probably not a, a technical term for it but more like groove metal like you know re- heavy riffs that are a l- slower than thrash 
I guess I'm glad you got more in the vein you of went there. Black Sabbath than. How about Pantera? Yeah, but Pantera's I heard, faster. But I heard a lot of Pantera. Yeah. Especially on track like four, Buried. of Pantera. And I'm not going to claim to be the biggest Pantera fan. I mean, I probably know two albums of Pantera. When I heard it was something, it has something to do with the way that those riffs are played. And I'm not proficient enough of a guitar player to be able to tell you what exactly he's doing. But it has to do with, you know, a lot of that Dimebag Daryl stuff, you, like you said, with Pantera is very groove-oriented. And um, that's what that... It has a groove to it that just, you know, Metallica doesn't have a groove. A lot. Of, it's it's a piston beat to a lot of their playing. Yeah, they don't. But play. you get a little bit on certain songs here and there with regards to COC, but not overall. They they play off the backbeat, which Metallica doesn't really do. Metallica's all about, you know, sort of pushing and you know, being more driving, and that's something that Pantera did do. So there was like up strumming. Like in the the way that the riffs are written, that lock up with the kick drum, that kind of give you that that groove feel, that you know, that backbeat feel, and some and some thrash does that um, as well. But typically, you know, Metallica's version of it tends to be more about the you know driving forward. Now, what was what was weird listening to this is that you know I kind of heard a lot of what I would call the alternative metal of the 90s sort of seeping in here and there. And I could see that this band and this album being an influence in, in respect to like bands like Biohazard and Helmet and Prong and, you know, some of that stuff. But if you were to play this and you didn't tell me who they were and then you were to play like early Soundgarden and then you were to play some of the other like heavier Seattle bands that were clearly Sabbath and 70s metal hard rock influenced Mm -hmm. i don't know that i would have been able to tell the difference there's a there's almost like an alternative sound to some of the stuff i mean some of it's very you know when they get into like track three dance of the dead and they do like a double lead like it's very maiden sounding yeah um and it has like a swing beat to it yeah that sounds very much like a 70s kind of metal song not 
but there are other parts where they get into like almost grunge which is it just kind of like messes with my mind when i'm trying to like separate where where they're coming from and where they are in terms of the whole scheme of you know metal and hardcore and thrash and all that well they're pretty unique did you pick pretty unique band um for for this time period that's mm-hmm. why i you know when you ask me why i pick this i think in some ways you know the aesthetic that they're going for the the, the approach they're taking is similar to what a lot of metal bands are doing now. So if you think about like Mastodon, Baroness, that sort of school of yes. metal, it's the same kind of approach where it does have that. It has all of the classic metal pieces and parts to it in different in different ways, but then it's combining. I guess a grunge aesthetic or a post-hardcore aesthetic to it that makes it just a little bit more I don't know real at times um, a little less pretentious um, a little that gr- going to get you in trouble a little grit a little <laughs> little bit grittier well I'm saying it in the opposite so I, I think some people would probably think like Iron Maiden is maybe a little bit pretentious in terms of, you know, like they're singing about super, everything they're singing about sounds super important and it's all, you know, really highly produced and, you know, precise and uh, lofty. Uh, this stuff is a little bit more grounded and real. Um, it's a little bit more organic sounding. So, yeah, I think where they're coming from is, is a similar place to that a lot of bands are coming from now. Um, it's puzzling to me why there was there was this band and then there was really a gap where that kind of heavy music heavy rock didn't exist um until probably within the last five years there's been a resurgence in it well it did it got got transformed the heaviness of like i mentioned like biohazard and helmet and prong and and that kind of stuff got transformed into like corn and limp biscuit and those bands and those were the heavy bands of the mid to late 90s yeah it got yeah it got more technical sounding and digital and you know uh, eight seven string guitars and eight string guitars and fretless basses and you know uh, it went to shit yeah well it, it lost it, it, it lost the real like earthiness you know i mean these guys are playing you know les paul's through marshall's cranked really loud yes there's some effects on here and some other things going on but for the most part you know it's way more organic and, all, and, and real than, than uh, the super-produced stuff that happened in the late 90s and early 2000s in terms of heavy, you know, heavy rock and metal. I think that Mastodon is a really good, you know, sort of uh, down-the-line band that you, you could say, well, if you're into Mastodon, you're going to like this because that was the thing that I was hearing a lot was their approach to... You know, we joke around about the Cookie Monster vocals sometimes, and that that's why people don't get into to metal. That they make they sort of like, oh god, it's those awful vocals. Yeah. But Mastodon and, and to some extent Baroness is a little less known. They don't do those things for the most part, and they've sort of crossed over a little bit into a into a non just male underground metal audience i think the corrosion of conformity was almost ahead of their time in that sense that they you know 
I wonder what would have happened if they had opened for Soundgarden on the Bad Motorfinger tour. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if they could have drawn that sort of like alternative crowd in the same way that Mastodon does today. I think on the Deliverance album, they they uh, they were doing that a little bit. I think they were working with. I'd have to see they. I want to say they toured with bands of that elk. They were they were cast in that same category for that album. Um, that album tends to be a little less thrash oriented. It's still very heavy. It's probably closer to Caius than. Hmm than thrash so i think they did get in that that realm and they may have done some tours like that and vocally i guess they're more from the school the at least in this album it's more from the james hetfield direction of vocals yeah quite Uh, a bit yeah so and it at times they can kind of get into a you know classic ozzy kind of realm in terms of vocals but they never the, the vocals are never um polarizing they're never they never get in the way of the music uh, which, in, like you're describing in some metal, whether it be you know a super high pitched voice or Cookie Monster vocal, for some people they just can't get over that and they can't get into that. The, the voice is just so uh, polarizing and just something they can't get a t- get a taste for. Uh, this stuff isn't like that, you know. You can almost in a, in the same way that I would describe Mastodon and Baroness, like the vocal is good, but in, in a lot of ways you could just almost ignore it or not pay as much attention to it. It just all kind of blends in with the music. Uh, I think these guys do that also. I think what is weird to listen to, I'm really only familiar with these two albums for them, Deliverance and, and this album. It is unusual how they use different singers because it really changes the tone of the songs quite a bit. Um, in fact, on Deliverance, some of them almost sound like, like joke songs or like over-the-top characters <laughs> that they're doing vocally. Hmm. Uh, you don't hear that as much on this album. I think it stays a little bit more in, in the in the James Hetfield metal sort of area, but on Deliverance, for sure, he's, they get a little bit goofier with the vocals. Um, Since you're talking about the vocals, we should probably touch on the lyrics a little bit. It's, it's weird, because this is kind of a time capsule album when you start looking at the lyrics, but they're, I guess, non-specific enough that you could actually apply them to other times is my inarticulate way of saying track two, which is really the lead off track on the album. The first track is an instrumental um, damned for all time. He, the lyrics in the chorus go the teeth and the gears of the killing machine are getting sharper as time moves on as the politicians wingtip presses on the gas. A thousand soldiers will soon be gone. I'm pretty sure he's making reference to the first Iraq war. But it's generic enough that metal has always, you know, used politics and war as and politicians, especially as the boogeymen in their lyrics, you know, Megadeth, Metallica, all those bands of, of the 80s thrash and metal. They're always singing about corrupt government and politicians and uh, that sort of thing. So. It was weird to listen to it in the sense that hes I'm pretty sure that he's thinking about something that was happening right then and was really relevant, but you could apply those lyrics to the last 10 years, and they would still be just as relevant. Yeah. Well, what's interesting you bringing that up is that a lot of the bands I talked about, you know, contemporary bands, don't those, – those sorts of themes aren't part of their lyrics at all. 
it's more like fantasy based and you know just abstract you know feelings and relationships and stuff like that I mean they're still interesting or historical references but they kind of don't do the overtly political you know new world odor sort of stuff that was really more popular in the 90s which at that time like thinking back it was such a non-issue then really in context and now it's like way more real but you don't hear about it you don't hear it as lyrical content as much anymore which is interesting yeah that's weird because I don't know it seems like the last 10 11 years have been pretty divisive when it comes to politics and economics and social issues and it seemed like be a pretty ripe you know time to write metal in that vein in terms of the bigger bands unless they're doing it in a very coded way you're not getting songs like vote with a bullet where uh they're making a pretty strong argument for you know this would this would be almost be a song that uh the um occupy movement could use A bunch of lyrics. Uh, one lyric: for, "Forgive and forget, f no. I'm taking. I'm talking about a revolution. You know, there's unleash the dogs. The only solution. Sin is still in, and our ballots are shrinking. I mean, there's. It's. It's rife with, you know, political metaphors and and lyrics that are perfect for today's political climate and economic climate. Yeah, I and mean, it's very. It's just. Yeah, I mean it's a great observation and it's it's fascinating. Um, I'm sure sociologists, <laughs> a metalhead sociologist, could uh, break it down better for us. But yeah, it's true. It's uh, you know you hear stuff like that now and you're like, wow, that could have been, if that was written now, that would totally make sense. But it wasn't. It was basically written at a time when things were. I mean, there was the first Iraq War. I mean, frankly, in context now, that seems like nothing compared to what we've been through recently. Um, right. Megadeth still writes politically and um, war-based stuff, but at this point, I mean, to me, when I hear their lyrics, they're almost like pro-war. Like, yeah, does he, he sing about like blowing up the UN and stuff? He's basically recognized that like one of his biggest fan bases is you know people who served in the military that actually listen to his music when they're driving around in tanks and Humvees. So like, he's writing music to get them pumped up, pumped up, and kill people. 
at this point. It's like, was that what you were singing about in the with, with Peace Cells? He's, he's still buying? mad. He got kicked out of Metallica. So it, take, it's just interesting. Uh, it, it's unfortunate in some ways. I would love to hear one of these bands. I I should say Valiant Thor is a band that I, I like quite a bit, and they're, you know, I guess you could say they're metal. They're kind of post-hardcore punk, pretty aggressive. They, lyrically, they do take on populist politics in their lyrics. They're one of the few bands that does that. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty fun to to go back and listen to this stuff recorded in the early '90s and have them making points that still, you know, hold true to today. I wonder if it's a part of the issue with the lyrics is that they're too earnest and people can't write lyrics as earnest as now because as now at, at this time because if you write something that earnest you're going to get torn apart as being you know everything is got to be shrouded in some sort of either layer of sarcasm or irony or you know disaffectedness that I'm not. I'm. I'm doing this, but I'm not really doing this sort of thing. Yeah. And you know, that's why I. I almost think like listening to a band like Rage Against the Machine. Um, we're not musically in any way connected to this band, but we talked about it on the at the Driving podcast. They're far too earnest. <laughs> they would get. They would be laughed at. I think almost. Because yeah. they're so singular in their motive, that especially on the first album. I mean, it's so. We're saying exactly what we're thinking. It's like everything is. There's no way you could get away with that now, and people. There's. It's just too straightforward. Yeah. People they, expect you to have an attitude, basically. At the time they wrote this, I mean, they were talking to, you know, the youth. Uh, you know, of America, and for the most part, this wasn't. These sentiments were, you know, right in tune with what most people thought. I mean, frankly, it's getting a little bit off topic, but frankly, I think the youth of America now is not very rebellious. It's sort of, we have a generation of people that have been, uh, that whole aspect is, it doesn't exist anymore. You pretty yeah. much, you know, told the, it's, you know, it's, it's way cooler to shut up and do what you're told. And, and you hear that in the music. I mean, that's, there's nothing, there's absolutely no rebellious element whatsoever in popular music other than sex. Which at this point, I, I don't know how anybody finds that rebellious. It's been so overdone, and <laughs> there's nothing you know, risk really yeah. that risque about it. It's just like, but if there's one thing that rock music has covered pretty well. It's sex. Yeah, well, in pop, in hip hop now, it's just that's the only rebellious thing they really talk about. I mean, so it, it's definitely a snapshot of the early '90s, um, and I remember there was a lot, you know, of of sentiment like this you know i remember ministry songs and a lot of bands um, working a lot of metal bands and, and hardcore punk bands and industrial bands all sort of in the same theme I mean, it was it made sense for the time it's just kind of crazy that now that we need that voice it doesn't really exist very much um back to the music though I, something about there's a couple things about this album i think that make it really really special one is the guitar stuff is is pretty phenomenal. Uh, it's particularly how they're able to uh, write riffs that are really heavy but still very melodic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're hummable. They're unlike I, I think Pantera tends to get a little bit more about 
they're so rhythmically focused their riffs that sometimes the melody gets lost you know Phil Anselmo isn't the most melodic singer either so sometimes the riffs just become you know these repeating patterns they're more about a cool rhythm than they are about a melody these guys are they play a little bit slower for the most part even when they're playing fast they're not playing as fast as Pantera and uh, just the combination of the two guitars uh, they're able to do some melodic stuff that's 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 really cool there's almost a southern rock kind of feel to some of the parts and pieces uh, you hear it more in Deliverance but there's some parts on this album as well where they'll just play like a, a kind of a, a two note slide or some sort of some of the guitar harmonies that they do um, mm-hmm. it, it feels either a combination of Thin Lizzy or Almond Brothers almost um, there's this really cool just mix of uh, of guitar influences there. And then the other thing I wanted to point out was the drummer's amazing on this album. Uh, he's kind of got a John Bonham uh, feel to him, the way that he you know, plays the kick drum, um, even some of the fills and stuff. Uh, he, there's, there's a couple songs on here where he is just like fluidly moving from double time to half time to normal time within five seconds it's like and it's it's effortless um it's just a really really great drum performance um the drums sound really really good i love the the production of this album for being as old as it is it holds up really great um when you crank it it sounds excellent It sounds like a, a rock album of any era. Like it doesn't have any sort of dated production techniques of the '90s. Yeah, that you would think of that would 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 sort of restrain it to that. I mean, you could have said that this was like you said, like, this could have been like Sabbath era '70s, you know, hard rock, or this could be you know today next to a, a Mastodon album. There's no defining sound to it, which really makes it kind of timeless yeah you'd be hard pressed to find another metal album that came out in 1991 <laughs> that sounded as timeless as this does yeah uh it's pretty pretty amazing uh i i had no idea i didn't even realize it was that old i thought it was a little bit newer than that but yeah the production on it is is great uh, the drums sound fantastic the bass playing is really good too so there are, there are some great musicians. You can just tell, like, when you listen to this album, that these guys probably were, you know, locked in their practice space eight hours a day working on this stuff. Like, it's just so... It sort of has, I don't want to say prog elements, but it just, it's really dynamic, and 
The songs do tend to be a little bit on the long side, um, and there's always like an instrumental part in the middle. But there's just so much really cool stuff going on here where they're just playing off of each other and just so many interweaving melodies and heavy riffs and um, just great drum fills and just all it's like everybody sort of has a moment on this album too you know where the drums do guitars will get out of the way and you'll hear this cool like kick beat thing and then you'll hear the bass player do something and they'll come back in and so it's just a great uh, performance all around for everybody I do want to point out when you say Prague you're not talking about the city you are referencing progressive <laughs> rock because apparently that was an issue that some people had they didn't understand what we meant when we said prog rock what prog yeah yes yes what is not wrong pe- with people i don't know i i swear that sometimes who who in a musical context if i said prog wouldn't know what i'm talking about uh it was during the jawbreaker episode why we were even talking about prog rock during the, the jawbreaker episode I don't know, but uh, it's progressive rock. That's the abbreviation. I'm sorry if that's new to some people that they don't know that prog is the abbreviation for progressive. <sighs> it's also, uh, it's our, uh, I guess, Midwestern uh, pronunciation. If we were from Boston, say Prague. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Midwestern pronunciation, you mean the correct pronunciation? Yeah, the, the very the blandest, most generic pronunciation, which is the Midwestern pronunciation. It was four years. You mentioned about them playing. They're, they're, they're playing being tight. It was four years between the, this album and the previous album. So they definitely had time. And it was two years between each of the albums, the three albums before that, 83, 85, 87. Mm-hmm. So they definitely had time to, you know, refine and, and get the chops down as far as going into the studio and, and putting this record together. And you definitely hear that. I mean, it's it's a pretty tight record. It's only 53 minutes, which for a metal album that's 13 songs long and has three instrumentals on it, it's a pretty tight album. The version, you know, you take those, I, the version I have of it has uh, 16 songs on it. You have the reissued song, uh, album, my friend. That That is three bonus tracks. Really? Yeah. I have the original pressing. Of 13 songs because it ends with it's supposed to end with track 13 remain which is the, the instrumental outro oh okay yeah the, the three songs after that are not great so you didn't miss anything. that's what okay <laughs> not the first time that that's happened and it won't be the last He's as right. uh, as people reissue their albums for uh, you know monetary sake keep tripping us throw- yeah we talked a little bit about who we think this album is for, but we mentioned Mastodon. If, you, if you're listening to Mastodon and you haven't heard this, you should probably pick this album up. Agree? Oh, absolutely. Sure. If you like if you like Baroness, if you like Kyle Sia, if you like... I think I pronounced that right, Kyle Sia. If you're, even if you're into, like, I don't know, is Queens of the Stone Age too far of a, of a leap? You mentioned yeah. Caius. Queens of the Stone so, Age would be perfect. Yeah. I think uh, you know, this album in particular, though, has a. It does have an '80s thrash uh, vibe to it from time to time. So I kept thinking of Anthrax quite a bit, especially when they get faster, uh, even vocally. Some some of the phrasings and things that they use reminded me of Anthrax. Um, or if you like '80s Metallica, 
there are definitely some moments on here that that you're gonna appreciate. Everything pre Black Album. Yeah, it it's kind of a it's a really interesting uh, moment in time. It's sort of it should be a landmark metal album. I mean, to be honest, it it bridges the gap between uh, the '80s thrash stuff, late '80s thrash stuff, early '90s thrash stuff, and then taking a step into a new direction where you know Soundgarden maybe became best known for in terms of their interpretation of um, what you know Black Sabbath did in the '70s, and things started to slow slow down a little bit, become more groove oriented, you know kind of the stuff that Zach Wilde started to do from a commercial That was the name I was going to bring up. Glad you brought Zach Wilde up because a lot of the stuff here, and again, I said earlier, I'm not a guitar virtuoso, uh, but I can pick up on some things that he does, which would be like the pinched harmonics, and they're a little bit here and there on this album, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it's not a lot of guys that do that, but when it's done well, uh, Zach Wilde can drive it into the ground. Yeah, he's getting he, ridiculous with it. So, I'm pretty sure he has written a song which is entirely just made up of pinched harmonics at this point. <laughs> Actually, we need a YouTube... Somebody needs to put together a YouTube video of just all the pinched harmonics from all the songs that oh, he's man. played on. You'd have to get the... Because I, I, I've i seen him uh, videos of him live. and I actually, I, Yeah, I've seen him live. And he does it way more live than he even does in the albums. It's like he throws it into every song they play. You know, all the old songs that he didn't even play on. He's crazy train, just pinched harmonic after pinched harmonic. You barely even get the melody of the song out. He's just doing so many pinched harmonics. I, I bet he gets paid by the pinched harmonic is what it is. He's got an endorsement deal with a harmonic company. And they are... You know, every time it's like a product placement. So, and if you don't know what that tried... is, it's basically that squealy sound that he makes in the middle of uh, playing a riff. Yeah. So, yeah, a good example if uh, you listen to say, uh, what would be a prime example? What's a what's an Ozzy song that he plays on that is covered in pitched harmonics? Would it be like No More Tears? No More Tears, Perry Mason. So there's a little bit of that here and there. There's not it's not as blatant or repetitive um but some of his playing was definitely reminiscent of what was going on here with um coc but you know they're before him so Mm -hmm. you know they they were on to something pretty interesting i think before a lot of other people were no, you're right. This is a weird and underappreciated crossover album when it comes to what was going on in 80s metal with the thrash, with ties to both hardcore punk and new wave of British metal from the 70s, and then crossing over into the 90s with, like you mentioned, like grunge and alternative metal, and basically leading up to today. And um, it's sort of a signpost. You can hear a little bit of everything going on in there, and it's all to its own. So it's a really, it's a cool album. I'm glad we, you know, we're not going to cover a lot of metal, I don't think, on this podcast, just because the 90s, I think, were kind of a down period for creative metal in a lot of ways. I think the, 
you know, there's the post-hardcore stuff that, you know, we can get in that makes sense that I think in some ways you could argue is metalesque at times. Uh, there's stuff like, uh, I don't know, I guess there's aspects of, like, failure and those sorts of bands that were got close to getting to a metal sound at times, but yeah, there was no, it was definitely a void of straight up, I'm a metal band (laughs) from like 1990, probably what, three until really till the Corn Limp Bizkit era to where it came back to be like, okay, now I'm, you know, we are a metal band and basically, you know, we can have some career. Yeah. Some yeah. sort of viable commercial career and be classified as a metal band. All right, then. That is Corrosion of Conformity and the album Blind. We both suggest that you pick that one up at your local record store or um, iTunes or Amazon off of our website. Just saying. Do you want to mention that you should also go to our website to take part in our end of the year episode you can contribute by sending us your favorite discovery of the year tell us why it's your favorite discovery you can write it on our website you can send us an email you can even send us a little audio sample and we'll play it on the show just tell us what was your favorite discovery of the year jay and i will be going over our favorite discoveries new bands that we never heard of before and now they're our favorite bands of all time and we're also going to pick some of our favorite songs and play them on the podcast. So it'll be a good old Hootenanny. Won't you please take part? That's what a Hootenanny is all about. I hate Hootenannies. Oh, boy. Jay, don't don't get down on the Hootenannies before we even have one. Just not down with it. Okay. It'll be a shindig. You all right with a shindig? Um, I'm slightly more, slightly more comfortable with that. And on that note, thanks everybody for joining us. Thanks Jay for once again joining me. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. feedback join the conversation about this episode visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our facebook page and twitter feed